0: paperback
1: readers. Sorry for the extended uh, break, but uh, we promise we'll get back to it.
0: Yeah, the next one will be much shorter as long as some of us can get our books read on time.
1: Mm, yeah, that's not <laughs> going to be you because in summer vacation, you're just piling them on like a uh, starving man at a buffet.
0: That's okay. You just read an extra book today, so...
1: Well, you got to do what you got to do.
0: <laughs> anyway... As always, we have enjoyed these past two weeks of reading. Well, past two and a half weeks now on this one. Um, I'll get us started. Yep. All right. Um, The first book that I read is called The Road Trip by Beth O'Leary. I read her book um, The Flatshare a couple of years ago when it first came out. I loved it. It's still my favorite of her books, although I also read, oh, what was the name of it? Last Summer. I feel like maybe we even talked about it on here. It was the one of like where the grandmother and the daughter switched homes. The grandmother and the granddaughter. Oh, okay. Anyway, it was a good one, too. The Road Trip is about a couple who has broken up, who... Um, oh, th- it was The Switch that was last summer. Okay. The Road Trip is about a couple who have broken up, but as they are each separately on their way to a mutual friend's wedding, they have a car accident and end up having to travel together. And so they have
1: two separate car accidents, or no, they have a joint car they accident. They hit each other. Ah, oh, okay.
0: And the car that survives is now going to take them, as well
1: as it's convenient contrivance. Each
0: of their two best friends, and like their each of their best friends, oh. and an extra random person they picked up from a Facebook group who is also going to the wedding. Why not? So there's a lot of polarity, but actually, it's a really deep book and really dark in a lot of ways um this road trip that should have been over in one day um stretches out and also stretches to include all of the mysteries and questions that were in their friendship and all the issues that they and their friends have had so it was a, it was a really interesting book mm-hmm. just like I say maybe a little darker than I thought it was gonna be yeah. but I like to read books about road trips oh cool framework yeah, yeah it really was so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it Then I also read The Truths We Hold by Kamala Harris. This one, this is one of the books that just makes you feel seen as a person. Like, maybe not the book itself, but the way I got it. Mm -hmm. Because our son got me this book for my birthday because he knew that I had liked Barack Obama's memoir and um, Michelle's. And he's like, well, I think she would like this too. And I was like, oh, he knows me as a person. And the book didn't let me down. Um, I didn't know much about Kamala Harris before I read this book, and this was this mixed um, her own personal background and family with her policy and why she holds the policies she does, and I just found it to be really interesting. I read you a lot of parts of it.
1: Yeah, I may have to check it out myself.
0: I think that you would enjoy it. I still think I'd rather, if I had to choose, that I just wish you'd read Michelle's memoir, but...
1: well, I mean, I've got this whole presidential thing going. Maybe, maybe we go to a vice presidential <laughs> thing next, and I can but read about Albin Barkley and all those people.
0: Anyway, Kamala Harris's <laughs> book was well worth the time, um, and I would recommend it. I read soundtracks by John Acuff. Have you ever read anything by John Acuff?
1: I read something by John Acuff, but I was trying to think what. did he re-
0: he wrote like start and finish and
1: he did. I've I'm almost certain I read one of them, but I can't remember which one it is. So <laughs> um,
0: he's, he's really good with, like, motivational and self-help, all those kinds of things. But Soundtracks is my favorite book by him that I've ever read. I think maybe because I'm an Enneagram One, I'm such a perfectionist, Soundtracks really appealed to me. It is the story of how... Um, we all have different soundtracks playing in our heads. Not music, but messages that we tell ourselves self con- subconsciously. Sure. Um, we don't even recognize them because those soundtracks, many of them have been playing for so many years. But it's our job to stop those soundtracks and replace them with um, messages that help us get where we actually want to be. And maybe reflect more accurately the truth that's there about us. Mm-hmm that we're too busy criticizing to notice. Well,
1: I'm reminded of a family friend who, uh, you know, she and I talked about this um, in high school. She just has a standing policy. She will not engage in negative self-talk. She will not say, I cannot. You know, it's just, it's it's a mania for her. You don't do that because you don't think that way. You know, she's a, a pretty impressive person. It certainly worked for her. John
0: Acuff would approve of her. Yeah. <laughs> I checked this book out from the library, but I think that this is one that I would like to own because I'd like to be able to go back to it. One of the things he's pretty serious about in it um, is reciting affirmations, mm. which sounds kind of just very, you know, I don't know. So but now that's the converse kind of, of what we're saying. But it does. It help, I mean, like for instance, I was reading this book um, and, and I just would Think about the book as I went through the day and remind myself when I noticed a soundtrack coming up, and it made it made a difference in the way that I thought, even in just those couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I definitely I'd like to own this one. I also read a book called That Summer by Jennifer Weiner, and I'd read some other things by her. She writes a lot of summer books. Mm-hmm. I want to say that there was a book with summer, Big Summer from last summer, um, and that I really enjoyed. This one, again, was darker than I expected it to be. Um, It wasn't a bad book at all. It just was very different from what I thought. So, um, a woman called Daisy gets an email from a person who who has a similar name to her. Both of them are actually named Diana. Both of them have last names that start with an S. And so, she gets an email by accident that was intended for that person. The two of them strike up an email correspondence And then they meet and, like, become friends. Mm -hmm. But the other Diana is hiding some pretty big secrets that affect both of their lives. And that's where it it just took a turn. Um, Interesting. Interesting book. I kind of wish I had somebody that I knew who had read it so I could talk to them about it. You wouldn't like it. I'm not making you read it. (laughs) Um, but it's
1: like if only there was someone in my (laughs) life who read a lot of books, you wouldn't like this one. That that happens.
0: Um, but I do kind of wish that I had somebody to talk to about it. So if you have read um, that summer, send me an email paperbackreaders at gmail.com. Get in touch with me me on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod. I just want to know what you thought. I I need to talk about this one with somebody. I read a lot of books, I've still got two to go here um field notes on love by jennifer e smith this is a book that i tried to find last summer and i couldn't find it anywhere and then lo and behold the library had it this year this one is um a young adult book it's another travel story i feel like that's a theme of our podcast today especially (laughs) with the shared book that we're going to talk about but i really like reading books about travel anytime but especially in the summer and novels about travel are their own special thing So in this one, um, you have a um, British high school graduate who has planned a train trip across America with his girlfriend before she starts college in California. She dumps him right before the trip. He decides to take the trip anyway, but the problem is that everything is non-refundable and all in her name. So he advertises online for anybody else who also has the exact same name as she does. Finds a girl. They travel across the country together hi jinx and Sue little sweet love story but the thing I was
1: gonna say I have an odd feeling that they're not going to end up hating <laughs> each other and glad to separate at the end of the trip okay
0: but what I liked about this book yeah. like what made me glad that I read it was the train journey across America I have wanted to do it. I think that's so cool you know yeah. like all you always hear stories about how cheap Amtrak tickets are and you could just go across America now they did it did sound like it would be claustrophobic I mean, like, they're talking about the space that you have in the bed. You can't even turn over. I can't sleep like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could make it. But I do, I just, I liked the romance of the train travel and the way that that was described and moving across the country and seeing it through his eyes. That part was really cool. It was a very sweet story all the way through. I'm not not criticizing it. Oh, yeah. The last book that I read is called The Invisible Husband of Frick Island by Colleen Oakley. This is a story, the premise of this one, did I tell you about it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool premise, isn't it?
1: It's like Weekend at Bernie's almost. (laughs) Oh,
0: gross. Why would you compare it to that? That's (laughs) awful. It is not like Weekend at Bernie's. No. Um, Frick Island is, I believe, a fictional little island um, out in the Atlantic. And um, it's one of those isolated (laughs) little islands. Only 90 people live on it now. and, And most of them have lived there for years and years and years. Um, most of the men on the island make their living by um, the ocean. And when Tom goes out one morning on the ocean, the risk that every fisherman takes, he doesn't come back. And his brand new wife, Piper, is devastated. She doesn't know what she's going to do without Tom. And then one day she wakes up and he's back. Problem is she's the only one who can see him. And when Anders um, oh, I okay. didn't
1: realize she was that he was actually back. I thought everyone was just accommodating, like this yeah. lunacy. She's
0: the only one who can see him because he's not. He's only there in her head.
1: Okay. Okay. All right.
0: Um, when this Anders, is getting
1: complicated. when
0: Anders, a local journalist, shows up to do a story on the island, he is shocked at how the whole island does accommodate her. When she goes on a walk, they'll talk to her. They'll say hey to Tom. Um, and he sets out to investigate. And the whole thing is just a really charming story of faith and the things that we do for love, not just in marriage, but for the people that we love mm-hmm. um, in our everyday lives. Really sweet little story also. Yeah. If I made it confusing, I'm sorry.
1: Well, I, uh, I just thought I understood <laughs> what was going on, and then I didn't. But that's my life. So Okay.
0: Um, so tell us, Joe, what you have been reading.
1: I did have a fairly slow period of time. Uh
0: but we were out of town, yeah. and while I was reading in the car, you were driving. So
1: Yeah, and, and preparing to, to sail a boat in circles, but that's yet another story. No, another we can't
0: day. even get into that. Okay.
1: Anyway, uh, did another one of those uh, pop music series that uh, are for kids and young adults, American Country by Lloyd Sachs. Uh, nothing personal to Lloyd, but I would give this probably the lowest marks of the group. Country's hard to envelop. It's such a massive thing. I mean, as that Ken Burns series we just watched showed, I mean, you end up being like, oh, and there was this guy called Bill Monroe, and there was some bluegrass music, and it gets like a page.
0: It pulls and, in and so many hard. different threads.
1: Yeah. On the upside, I do want to give them credit for listing our friend Hero and pal Tiff Merritt uh, as, as one of their Americana alt-country artists.
0: If any of you listening have never heard of Tiff Merritt, Or even worse, Never Heard Her Music, Um, you need to go to Spotify and look up Tambourine. It's amazing.
1: That's a great album. I've got that on vinyl. Uh, But anyway, you know, fine series. They do continue the playlist thing. It's just, uh, the the hip-hop was better. The R&B was my favorite of the group. We haven't done rock and roll, and I don't know if we will. But, you know, we've, we've done several now. So, anyway. Good book. Speaking of books about music, Solid State, the Story of Abbey Road and the End of the Beatles by Kenneth Womack. I read Womack's book about the last days of John Lennon and then learned he had this book about uh, 1969 when the Beatles were breaking up and making one last great album. Um,
0: How did you read this one?
1: In the car with a okay. voice reading it to me.
0: An audiobook. Yes. Then.
1: As, as the people call it, the audiobook. <laughs> I yeah. was just
0: try- I was thinking I had not seen this one. No,
1: you hadn't. Okay. Uh, although it has a nice yellow cover, it looks like it would be pretty cool to have physically. But, I like uh, yellow cover. Well, Beck does a good job. He's, he's a very fair writer, he's done his homework. Uh, there's a lot of kind of inside baseball here about how Abbey Road was recorded, some of which I found interesting, some of which was a little bit over my head. I mean, I'm a musician, but I'm a musician in the way that I like to pick up a guitar and start to play it. I don't want to think about the, the tubes and the amplifiers and whether the, the board was digital or analog. It, it, they lose me with some of the finer stuff, but he didn't dive too deep on that. But he did try to explain why Abbey Road was different. Um, and of course it's the last great gasp of the Beatles and it's a good story one worth sharing
0: do you remember in London when we walked for a million miles to find Abbey Road Studio
1: I don't remember it being that far. I I definitely remember, of course, because Abbey Road Studio is right there by the famous crosswalk where the cover of Abbey Road is taken. And
0: I risked my life taking a picture of you in the crosswalk.
1: (laughs) In in the greatest (laughs) tradition, yeah.
0: No, but we walked forever just because we weren't sure where we were going. And every few blocks we'd stop and be like, are we here? No. Well, because you're on Abbey
1: Road. You know, you're like, oh, uh, it's Abbey Road. Well, Abbey Road's just a street. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's, that's one of the cool stories is that... They just stepped outside and snapped a picture, and boom, there it was.
0: Okay, sorry, bad segue. You go ahead. No,
1: it's a fun story. Uh, enjoyed the book. Womack's good. Um, you know, I'd, I'd put this on equal footing with his John Lennon book, Both very good. Uh, neither are going to shock you if you read as much beatle stuff as I do, but either is worth picking up. Uh, on the other hand, interesting but different, built to lose, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever by Jake Fisher. Uh, It's a new book, despite the fact that it's really covering like 2014, 2015. So tanking, the whole idea, the NBA rewards competitive balance by giving the worst teams the highest draft picks so that the bad teams can add good players and become not so bad. But the problem is teams will blow games. If there's some mega superstar out there, everybody's like, ooh, 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 let's get the top pick so we can get, you know, random mega superstar so then the NBA has to deal with that how much tanking can you allow Uh, at what point is it bad for business so they've kind of changed the rules of how the picks go out Hmm. but the funny thing about this book for me is I go through and it's a long book it's it's a good book Jake Fisher knows his stuff uh but these teams are are tanking and talking about tanking and the big players who they're looking at it's 2014 I guess are Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, and Joel Embiid. Wiggins and Parker end up being kind of non-entities in the NBA. And Embiid, the jury's kind of still out. He's a good player, but he's been hurt so much he's missed a lot of times. But all these teams are like, should we lose games? Should we dump our good players so that we can get these guys? But the funny thing is the guy who was just the MVP of the NBA this year was in that same draft, and he went with like the 41st or 43rd pick. So. Everybody passed him up. Nobody was thinking about him, and he was the MVP of the league this year. Uh, And even his own team, the team that was lucky enough to get him, he wasn't even their first draft pick. They didn't even think that highly of him. So maybe tanking was much ado about nothing because at the end of the day, trying to decide who's going to be a great professional athlete is the biggest crapshoot in the world. And that really was what came home to me from this book.
0: Not a terrible lesson to learn right there.
1: No. Well, and then, so the last one that I added in, uh, you talk about books that you would not enjoy. It was the most excellent comedy and tragical romance of Two Gentlemen of Lebowski.
0: No, I definitely didn't. You played some of this for me tonight while I was trying to cook dinner, and I said, I think my exact words were, what is this nonsense?
1: Well, what it is, I'll, I'll read straight from their ad copy here. What if William Shakespeare had written The Big Lebowski? The dude has met the bard, and he doth abide. Joined the knave and Sir Walter on a wild tale of mistaken identity, kidnapping, bowling, and a rug that, in faith, really tied the room together in a side-splitting Shakespearean comedy of errors and nine pens, told in five glorious acts of iambic pentameter and impeccable period prose.
0: This is not my kind of thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it, it was really fun. I mean, if, if you know the movie, if you like the movie... Uh, you'll find it interesting, and if you're a Shakespeare nerd, you might find it interesting because I'm yeah, a
0: Shakespeare nerd. They and did, I did some not impressive like stuff
1: here. I mean, they, they went to some incredible lengths to try to hold together an R-rated movie from the the '90s, you know, in in Shakespearean language. So, I will
0: say that while I did not like listening to it, um, I don't like <laughs> listening to most books, and <laughs> I do admire the concept. I think that that yeah. it's a pretty neat idea. It was
1: clever. It was fun. Uh, so that and then we had our shared book, which took me seven thousand years. <laughs> well,
0: again, it wasn't your fault. Out of town, driving. You're much more read. kind on the
1: podcast than you are in real life, <laughs> or you would just make fun of me.
0: I didn't just make fun of you. I would more like stand over you and be like, Read, read, read. <laughs> you, you did read some
1: of it to me, which I always enjoy. See, that's that's one of the ways we're opposites. I do a lot of audio books and sometimes she will read me books. Yeah, so while we were... I try to read her things in three sentences, she's just like, Give me the book.
0: Uh, yeah, doesn't work. It doesn't work, but you <laughs> like it, and I love to read out loud. So that seems like a really perfect match. And I did read you some of this on the way home from our trip, and we laughed quite a lot. The book that we read together is called Neither Here Nor There: Travels in Europe, and it is by the um, outstanding, exemplary, amazing, Truly inimitable unique. yeah, Bill Bryson.
1: Yeah. So Bill Bryson. In my humble opinion, probably one of the great travel writers out there, uh, which requires kind of sleight of hand. Uh, this book is about traveling through Europe.
0: Yeah, very simply.
1: Uh, and, hmm. and Bryson's own history. You know, Bryson grew up in Iowa. He moved to Britain and lived there for a long time.
0: Got married there to a British woman.
1: Yeah, so he has this kind of interesting identity in that he's this midwestern farm boy who actually is, is a brit and then yeah. you know so so kind of it goes in layers for him
0: well this worked really well for his travel writing period he wrote a couple of books i think about um traveling in britain being an american in britain and mm-hmm. then um he and his wife and his children moved back to america and he was able to write books about what does america look like when you come home again and, yeah. and he just um
1: and of course a walk in the woods which is about when he the did Appalachian the Appalachian Trail. Trail,
0: yeah. Yeah. Travels in Europe, I think, was maybe the second one of his that we read. When he was a youngster, like right out of college, right? Mm-hmm. He um, went to Europe with, and backpacked through with his <laughs> friend, the um, just indescribable Stephen Katz, not his real name.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and he wrote, about, on this trip through Europe, he wrote about some of the memories of what he and, and Stephen Katz saw together and then how it was um, different as he took this trip through europe so um i just want to say one of the reasons that we think bill bryson is so good is that he is absolutely hilarious like i would hear you in the other room just giggling to yourself oh, there will be
1: a couple of laughs till you cry moments oh, they in any really of really are there yeah. would be
0: some of the things that i would try to read out loud to you and i'm just gasping for breath you can't even understand what i'm reading
1: right
0: yeah um, he's hilarious He also um, does a really, really, really good job with um, noticing details to paint a really well-rounded picture of a whole place. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just hit the highlights. He's not the kind of person who goes through and um, describes all of the big national monuments that you already know about there. He describes life on the street. He describes um, what he ate, where he ate it, <laughs> um, all of the, the people, people he, with, <laughs> he comes yeah. into contact with. Right. Yes, we said that he he does a really, really good job painting characters, from mm. the person who checks him out and it, like helps him check out at the front desk from a hotel room where he feels he's been overcharged and <laughs> earns his undying ire, to people on the train who give him death glares. <laughs> eight hours to people who are actually helpful and um and interesting yeah one one such character in neither here nor there is the set of police officers in um what scandinavian country was it
1: just thinking he was in Stockholm, but I could be completely wrong about that.
0: Mm, I could be wrong too. But just he, he does a really good job also to help figure out what this place is like based on what the people there mm-hmm. are like, the, the random yeah. characters that he runs into, because most of his travel, all of his travel, I believe, is really on his own. It was in this
1: book. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and, and you know, to write well about travel, uh, which is kind of a voyeuristic thing anyway. You're going to have to be interested in a lot of different subjects. You're going to have to be able to, you know, keep your your reader involved. And of course, you know, this guy, aside from all of these travel books, you know, he wrote the the great book America 1927, which is a wonderful chronicle of of a time and place. Uh, I love his memoir. I said, "Adventures of the, the of, the of the Thunderbolt Kid." Life and times of the Thunderbolt Kid. I, I it's one of my favorite memoirs ever, and it's really very different. Than his travel stuff. He's also
0: written a book about the English language. He's written a book about Shakespeare. The human the body. The human body, yeah. history books. He's He's branched out and done a lot of things beyond travel, but his travel books are his very best books. Yeah. And so, it's what he's mostly known
1: for. So he goes through Europe. A few things stand out other than his typical incredible humor and his skill at drawing characters. One thing is that this book is you know now we we're, we're up on what 30ish years old and there are times yeah, when it does it feel a little dated. I think
0: it was published in 1992. And yeah. so while I mean again some of the things that he talks about the the what things cost obviously so many of those things are very different now even some of the travel he did almost all of this through trains. some mm. of that has unquestionably shifted by this time. Well but,
1: communism is still kind of spluttering out in some places. I mean, you know, it's it's very interesting, but it's also kind of dated.
0: Um, yeah. And and so some of his humor also is dated. <laughs> um and maybe maybe covers he finds some things funny that fit very much in line with the culture of nineteen ninety two, but don't hold up as um, as being so amusing in 2021, yeah, Does that seemed fair. Yeah, that
1: that's. I accurate. don't. I don't
0: think that even he, were he to write this book now, would have poked fun at some of the things he poked fun at.
1: Yeah. Then,
0: yeah. but he is he he in his books anyway. He comes across as um a lovable curmudgeon,
1: <laughs>
0: very much like.
1: Sometimes <laughs> emphasis on curmudgeon rather than lovable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah.
0: Um he pokes fun at himself um throughout the entire thing he pokes fun of the people that he is around the places in which he shops um the things that he finds on the street I, he he there's nothing that he can't find some humor in and he does in almost everything but it works i think because of how much he also makes fun of himself i love when he'll um like quote a conversation that he's had with somebody Usually somebody in the service industry, and I just think, okay, how much of that was actually true? You know, <laughs> you because there's some things that he writes, and you're like, yeah, I can totally, I know you made all that up. But right.
1: well, you know, one one of the things that's interesting with this particular book is that he's going places he's been before, uh, which is is kind of a universal travel thing. I mean, if if you like to travel, you find yourself going back to places, and inevitably it stirs up. The memories of what went before, and, and you find yourself thinking the way he does so often in here. Oh yeah, there, there was this great restaurant, and then there was a, the club where there was a really good band. And, you know, if it, it was twenty years ago, it's all gone. But sometimes you
0: know? he can find it, and that's pretty. He cool, He does, theory. and that's
1: very rewarding for him. Yeah. And, you know, we've all been there. He
0: writes nostalgia really well, um, and he—it's it, kind of a theme for him in a lot of. It, it's a theme for him in all of my favorite of his books. Life and Times of the Thunderbolt Kid, obviously, is examining his own whole life and what has changed and what's different. And um, in uh, Notes on a Small Island, which is the first book of his that I read about travel in England, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, He is about to leave England, and so he kind of gives himself a sweep around the island again. So uh, this is a place he's lived as a young man, a young husband, a young father, and it's kind of his goodbye trip around the island. So there's a lot of that in it. Oh yeah. Um his books about American travel, obviously he grew up in America, so much of it he's seeing again. He also did a lot of traveling with his dad who is a sports writer. Right. And so a lot of the things he's seeing in America, he's seeing for the second time with a distance of quite a lot of years mm-hmm. and so there's there's this comparison thing that goes on with him in all of his best travel writing. I want to say even in um, a Walk in the Woods, his book about the Appalachian Trail, because Stephen Katz is with him, it's got lots of memories with Katz. He just does memory and comparison very, very well. It's not always a whole big pile of everything was so much better way back then.
1: Yeah, it's more, more nuanced.
0: Yeah, yeah. He weaves that together very well. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, he's great. And he's a travel writer, and it's the summer, and hopefully where you are, you're at least somewhat out from under the cloud that has been... COVID-19. And and,
0: hopefully you're getting to go somewhere.
1: Yeah. And if not, pick up a Bill Bryson book and you'll go somewhere with him and and probably have a pretty good time in the bargain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you do read it or if you get to go somewhere or have any other travel writers that we should read, let us know. Again, um, you can find us by email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod and Twitter at pbackreaderspod. Very good. Next time... This next book was your pick. Why don't you explain it?
1: Yeah, I'm still on my historical trail. You'll hear about John Quincy Adams soon. Uh, But it was kind of a continuation of the same thing, and it was about place, and it was about going places and the mythologies that surround places and people. It's a book called Land of Lincoln, Adventures in Abe's America by Andrew Ferguson, one I read a long time ago, so I'm looking forward to rereading it, and you have not read it.
0: And you promised me I'm going to find it funny.
1: Oh, it's quite funny. I mean, it helps that Doris Kearns Goodwin was the top blog on the or the blurb on the back of the book. That
0: does give it some extra cred right there.
1: Yeah. So if you want to pick up a copy of Land of Lincoln and join us, great. And otherwise, let us know what you're reading, what you think about what we read what we should be reading, where you're going, where we should go, (laughs) uh, you know, politely anyway.
0: And we hope to see you back here in a week and a
1: half. Absolutely. And meanwhile, for goodness sake, keep reading.